You see, what, what happens a lot of times in our lives is that we forget. It gets clouded. It get, it's, it's not that it's opaque. It's not that when we look through the window of our lives that it's, it's blacked out, it's opaque. It's, it's, it's kind of translucent. It's, it's blurry. And, and a lot of times we forget that, that again, like what he said about an emotion of anger, that we... Um, we, we take advantage of that or we put our spin of our flesh on it and we, we mess that up. Or, or we, we take a, a passion or drive that God gives us and, and then we put our spin on it and our flesh gets involved in it and then it becomes something that God didn't intend for it to be. And so, before long, we, we, we do listen to the other voices. We, we do find ourselves doing things that, that we should not do. There's a passage found in Proverbs 6 that I've looked at before. Uh, I'm not sure I've, I've preached it on a Sunday morning. I know I have at another time, maybe a Sunday night or a, or a Wednesday night. But I came across this passage about a month ago when, when I was, I, I read through the Proverbs. So it was actually on, on December the 6th. I, I try to read a proverb a day. And uh, I just wrote some things down thinking in my mind that... Um, that on this particular time, the beginning of somewhat of a new year, that I would look at, look at this text. I also was given that video at the same time. Um, Roy Sullivan gets some of those videos and he uh, brings them to me and I kind of look at some of them and I don't, we don't use all of them, but some of them uh, we do. And, and it was about that same time that, um, that, that he shared that video with me and I thought about from this text how, how relevant I think it is. You see, the Bible challenges us, and I, maybe we've forgotten this. I know at times I do, that um, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. The Bible challenges us that we're to be imitators of Jesus. We're supposed, to, we're, we're supposed to see His life and be walking with Him and, and, and communicating with Him, praying and, and spending time in His Word, fellowshipping with one another, so that when people see us, they would say, that person is, is imitating Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're also supposed to be holy for He is holy. Now, oftentimes we get that and we think it's, it's a particular uh, look, a particular dress, a particular suit, or, or uh, how you say things, how you pray out loud and all that stuff. No, that word means that God is unique. God is different. God is like none other. And we are supposed to be that way. You see, when, when, when someone faces something that is around us and, and they, they, the world or maybe um, the TV or some uh, popular secular or maybe even Christian uh, says, hey, this is how you ought to respond. No, the believer who's being holy like God, who's unique and different. No, we're supposed to react differently. Even if the church isn't reacting the right way. Even if other believers know, if we're walking with God, then we're supposed to be different and unique. We parent different. Not perfectly. Everybody will evaluate how you parent. Everybody will evaluate how things are done. How you communicate. But, but that, that's not the issue. It's, again, whether or not God says, well done. 
We're different in the way that we handle relationships. Our friendships. We're supposed to hold one of another accountable. We're supposed to challenge one another. We're supposed to have a redemptive reason for why we interact with people. It's not just to make money. It's not just to further the things that we have or where we are. No, we're supposed to have an eternal. What, what Trent shared a few moments ago in that song and before he sang it when he said, I, I need to live in light of my eternity. And if we're not careful, we'll lose sight of that. I want you to see in this text several um, passages or several verses, several things. Now, I say all that, it's going to sound a little bit differently as we read this when, just by the introduction that we just, we just went through. But look here in verse 16 of Proverbs chapter 6. These six things the Lord hates. Now, now this is powerful because oftentimes we don't like to put the word hate with God. Oftentimes we, we, we hear that word so we say, you know, we get real nervous about it and some of you are getting nervous now. And so, um, but, but the fact is this is a biblical statement that we, we, we have to kind of look at and realize that our love for something usually will define our hatred for something else. If I really, really love my wife and my marriage and my family, then I will detest, I will hate anything that tries to weed its way or weed its way into that to break that up. I will hate it. If I really love God, then I will, I will detest anything that gets in the way of how I want to serve Him and honor Him. If I really love the body of Christ and I, I really love God's church, then, 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 I, then I, will, I will detest those things that break up its unity, that hurt its people. And I could go on and on and on and on, but notice these things. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to the Lord. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord uh, among the brethren, who breaks up unity amongst the people of faith. It's amazing that that would even be placed in that text. It just reminds us the, the importance of relationships. And what's interesting about this passage, when you think about it in light of the video we just shared, and the fact that we are His masterpiece, His workmanship, and we can get things out of kilter, out of line, the plumb line, we get away from exactly where God wants us to be. If you'll notice, it's almost a total involvement. Eyes, hands, heart, feet, our witness, even how we interact with people. And if we get those, if they get cloudy, and that's what's in this text we, we, we see. As a matter of fact, the first thing it talks about is, is haughty eyes or, or, or pride. It's a, it's a wrong use. And that's the first thing I want you to see from this text. It's a wrong use of what we see of our eyes. It's, it's when, when our vision gets blurred, when things don't, when they don't seem to be the way that we think they ought to be, and so we begin to see things differently when we forget that God intended us to see things the way He sees them. 
See, God intends us to see people that are hurting and we're supposed to help. But, but if we're not careful what we'll do in our flesh, and no one raise your hand, but what we tend to do is we tend to criticize, critique, or evaluate why they're in the situation they're in. Now, not everybody does that all, at all times. But I will, you don't have to raise your hand, I will say, I will raise my hand and say, there have been times when, when I'll see somebody that's hurting, and, I, and, and in my flesh it'll be, you know what, they, they, they got what they asked for. Their parents tried to tell them differently. Their spouse tried to warn them. Their kids tried to tell them not to do that. Even as parents, they tried, the kids tried to say, Mom, don't do that. A boss tried to say, don't. You know, so I've been guilty of that. You know what I found when I've been studying this text? When I've been researching this over this whole month? Is I have had a wrong use of my eyes. How dare I use something that God gave me to judge something that God said I never had the authority to judge. You see, yes, I can hold people accountable. I can look at Daryl's life with my eyes and I can say, Daryl, as a believer in Jesus Christ, man, listen, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to hold you accountable to be the husband God's called you to be, to be the dad, to be the, the church member, the staff member, all those things. But I've got to be careful. There's a fine line where I begin to say, I know better than what God knows in his life. It's a misuse of your, a misuse of your eyes. Pride is the key barrier to a relationship that is fully dependent upon God. Listen to Proverbs 8. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Humility is what the Bible talks about that is a clear, listen to this, that is a clear pain in the windows of our lives that we're seeing, that we realize is to be hum a humble person. You ever wondered why God hates pride? I came across this in some of my, my research. Listen to just what one person said. Pride stripes a person, or excuse me, pride strips a person of their dependence upon God. Pride blinds a person to their need of God's help. They mistakenly believe that they know the way better than God. Instead of being led by the Holy Spirit, the prideful choose their steps God knows we cannot make it without him so he hates sin separating us from his loving care and his protection you saw that in the video and, and again we've all probably been in that situation I'm gonna go in record to say God has never showed up I always thought that my hairline was pretty good even though I'm losing it you know I'm not saying you know that guy in that picture God was bald you know but I will say this I've never had God show up in physical form with a chisel and a hammer. But I'll tell you this. God has shown up. And God has chiseled away in my life. And it's almost identical to what He's talking about. It's usually in the areas of things that are so important to me that I really don't want to mess it up and I don't want to blow the situation and, and where I really just wish God would take over and, 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 and handle it all. But that's when He's chiseling away at me. That's when God's trying to see if I'm going to be humble and totally dependent upon Him. Now see, here's what you got to be careful. You're thinking, well, Brother Mike, I've been around you. You ain't got there yet. Guess what? You didn't either. You just thought a bad thought about me. Amen? 
You see, it's, it's getting to the place where we realize that we've got to trust God. The eyes can flood the soul with light, good things, or, or they can contaminate the soul with darkness. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So we've got to be careful that if we realize that He's created us to be what He's, this, this, this masterpiece, this workmanship. Again, how many of you have been watching um, the, the college football games, this, the, the bowl games this week? Don't be shy. Raise your hand. All right. How many of you going to watch the one tomorrow night? Amen. All right. So here's the thing. <coughs> I think it was Stanford and Oklahoma State. I was watching that game. I think the game ended, I don't know, 11 o'clock, something like that. It was, it was something. When, when, when Stanford's freshman missed that field goal, I went into Michael's room, woke him up, and I said, let's go outside. We're fit to start working on field goals. <laughs> God is my witness. I didn't do that. But I'll tell you what Michael did say last night. He heard me say that to somebody. He said, can we wake up in the morning at 5 and go outside and work on field goals? I went, no, we're going to church tomorrow. God, like I would like to with my son, the difference is I can't chisel away in Michael's life to make him something. I can't. I can't. And as much as parents, we want to do that. Those of you who've raised kids and now on the grandkids, you, you know that you, you, you can't. But we want to. We, we want to chisel away at the things. And you know what I found? We want to chisel away the things that we see in them that are like, just like us. Because we know how it turned out for us. But God is creating a workmanship in your life. And here he says that if our eyes do not function the way they're supposed to function, not physically but spiritually, God detests that. So may there be a revival in this room this morning. That we would say right now, now the sermon's not over, so don't get excited. That we would, we would have a revival that our eyes would begin to see differently. Not pridefully, not haughty, not haughty eyes, not, not, not looking down at someone else. But seeing people the way that Jesus sees them. Then he goes on and he says, a lying tongue. There's a second thing, now I'm not going to do all of these this morning, but I, I want to just get to a few of these. He mentions a lying tongue. So there's a wrong use of our mouth. As a matter of fact, if we were to turn over to James chapter 3, you, you can look at it later. In the New Testament, that's the text that goes at great length talking about how the tongue is like the rudder of a ship, or the tongue is like the, the, the bit in a horse's mouth. The, the, the tongue is like a flame that is out of place. It's not in a fireplace. It's, it's somewhere that it should not be. And it creates all this havoc, this, this destruction. 
See, there's a misuse of our mouth, of our tongue, of what we say. When I was a kid growing up, and you do this to kids to try to toughen them up because people are going to say mean things. Kids are going to say, but you say sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. As I've grown older, I've realized that's not true. More counseling is done on a Christian level and a secular level for people getting hurt by words and emotions and relationships than any of us would probably dare to even try to examine ourselves. And so our, our words, and so God desires us to live out truth. That, that's, if we're going to have a clear pain, if we're going to look through the window and, and it be clear, His workmanship, His masterpiece in our life is that he, He's given us this mouth to bring Him glory. He hates a lying tongue, a false witness. One who utters lies. The, the reference here to a lying tongue may be uh, somewhat, uh, someone that's willing to play loose with the truth. It's kind of willing to, to, to not necessarily give every detail of what the truth may be. It's a misrepresentation of what God ever designed for our mouth, for our tongue. As a matter of fact, I shared James, said it's like a rudder of a ship. It's amazing how your tongue can steer Something that large to go to places. It's amazing how you can take a, 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 an incredible animal like a horse and place that, that, that thing in their mouth and, and pull in one direction or another and you can somewhat control that animal. And it is amazing that like the bit or like the rudder, that our tongues, our mouths, Folks, I, I, think about how many kids have been told that they're losers. Think about how many, how many spouses have been talked down to, hurt. Think about how many parents or how many friendships people have been hurt by words. It's amazing how something that small that God gave as a masterpiece to bring glory, to bring edification, to bring encouragement, to bring a, a, a building up in someone's life. Do you realize that's what, our, that's what we're supposed to do with this? That if, that if I'm going to, to go to Russ and, and talk with him, and, I, and I'm not perfect in this. So again, I, I'm, 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 I hate, you know, a part of me hates a stage because you're, you're talking down to people. Except the choir, except these guys on the back. Because I'm down here too. But even if I'm going to confront Russ or challenge Russ, everything is supposed to be from a masterpiece perspective. Here's what I mean He's one too. Amen? He doesn't look like one, I know. He doesn't have the hair that I've got. But he's a masterpiece. It's pretty good looking, isn't he, Connie? <laughs> you see, we're to walk before God in truth. We're to love in truth. We're to rejoice in truth. We're to meditate upon truth. We're to speak to one another in truth. I'll, I'll go ahead and on record to say that whether it's in family, whether it's in church, whether it's a friendship, 
There's nothing that hurts me more than when someone's not honest with me. It literally, it breaks my heart. I can handle the, I can, I can handle the truth better than somebody not being honest with me. There was a friend who was a little bit stingy and a birthday of his friend came along. You may have read this story before. I've seen it in different places. I came across it again this week. Said he was he wanted to send his friend something, but he's a little bit stingy, so he um, he found this 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 vase or vase. I call it a vase, but some people a vase. And it, it was it was very expensive, but it was broken into s- several pieces. And so this friend thought, you know, hey, I tell you what I'll do. I'll send this on to 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 uh, my good friend, and he'll think that in the in the mail it got broken up. And uh, and I'll still look pretty good, the fact that I I sent this expensive vase. A few weeks later, he got a note from him and said, Man, thanks for the the vase or the vase. And uh, it was really special that you wrapped every individual piece that was broken. You see, he made the mistake of telling the mail carrier or the person he bought it from, Wrap that and send it. You see, the reality is... When you tell the truth, you don't have to have a great memory. But if you don't tell the truth, you've got to remember what you've said. And how many times has it gotten you, has it gotten me in trouble, when we've not been honest and we've tried to go back and figure out what it is that we've said. And so we need to tell the truth. There's a a book that's entitled The Day America Told the Truth. Listen to this. It gave some sobering statistics. 91% lie uh, routinely about matters they consider trivial. 36% lie about important matters. 86% lie to their parents. 75% lie to their friends. 73% lie to their siblings. And 69% lie to their spouse. Whether you fall in any of those categories... It's not that it's irrelevant, but what is relevant is that God desires truthful lips. There were some college students that decided to skip school. I never did that, by the way, Mom. And uh, they, uh, they, they were going to skip class. And, and it was a beautiful day. They had something they wanted to do. And so when they got back to class, they had a particular test. And they told the... the um, professor that well the reason why we missed class is we had a flat tire so the professor said that's fine y'all go ahead and you know, one sit right over there one sit over there one sit over there one sit over there you just got one question on the test and here it is which tire was flat <laughs> you see god desires truthfulness let me give you the, the 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 third it's not of all of it but let me give you the final thing that i want to conclude with and that is the wrong use of our hands See, in this text he says, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. We know that this could be a reference to abortion, that literally millions of babies. We will, we will have the, the, the date, the anniversary coming up at the end of this month, once again, every year, about the Roe uh, versus Wade, Roe v. Wade, where um, the decision was made to, for, for legalized abortion. And all the, the, the babies that have been, that have been, been killed. There are other references that we could look at when 
God doesn't, when, when people take matters into their own hands. You see, here's the thing, folks. God did not give us these hands to hurt people with. And it's a misuse of our hands when we do anything that is not the stewardship that God gave them for us to use them for. Several years ago, there was a 16-year-old girl who was critically ill in one of the hospitals in London. She was the eldest child of a large and extremely poor family. Because her mother died while giving birth to the last baby, the girl, the elder girl, the 16-year-old, had to become the mother of the home. She had literally worked herself to death. One day, a visitor from one of the churches entered her room and began to quiz her. Are you a member of the church? Have you been baptized? Did you ever go to Sunday school? Do you know the Ten Commandments? On and on the lady went, and each, each question the girl answered no. Finally, the woman asked, What will you do when you die and have to tell God what you've done? The young lady who had earlier in her life made her commitment to Jesus and given her life to the Lord and made a commitment to God in service to her family laid two thin, work-stained hands on the bedspread and looked at the woman with dark eyes, too full of peace to be disturbed. She then very quietly said, I will show him my hands. You see, God's given us these hands. God's given us this mouth. God's given us these eyes to make a difference for His kingdom. I want to conclude by, by, by this statement. Again, I'm not through with this message. I'm just done for the hour. William Martha Ward made this statement. We were created to expand our consciousness through prayer, to extend our hands in service, to express our thanks with joy, to expend our energies with wisdom, and to exemplify our love by deeds. One writer said it this way. He said, when we do this, we are a blessing to God. What God hates is the misuse of His remarkable body which He has given to us because we're His masterpiece. John Newton made this statement, What will it profit a man if he gains his cause and silences his adversary if at the same time he loses that humble, tender frame of a spirit in which the Lord delights and to which the promise of His presence is made? Let's pray together. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you saved? With no one looking around, I just want to ask you that simple question. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, to any way that I just posed that question, if you say, Brother Mike, I am not sure. Brother Mike, I don't know. Or, Brother Mike, I know that I'm not a Christian. But even if you say, I'm just, I just really don't even, I'm not sure. That I want to encourage you in just a few moments. I'm extending an invitation. And I want to share Jesus with you. Right where you are. You say, Brother Mike, that's me. Brother Mike, I'm not sure. Or, Brother Mike, I don't know. Right where you are, you can invite Jesus into your life. Right where you are. But you have to open up your heart to Him. So right where you are, you can 
acknowledge you. Just say to the Lord, say, Lord, I know that you love me. Just speak it from your heart to him. I know that you love me. And I realize that I've done wrong. I realize that I'm not perfect. I realize that I've sinned. So this morning, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and come into my life. I turn from my sin and I turn to you, God. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that Jesus gave his life for me. And I believe that he was raised from the dead for me. And I'm asking you to save me this morning. In Jesus' name. No one looking around. If that's you, if you just prayed that, you just gave your life to Jesus. You just got saved. I'll be up here. Brother Daryl's already here. Shane's here. You come this morning. And you let us celebrate with you that decision. But maybe you're here and you say, Brother Mike, I'm a believer. And this morning, God has been chiseling in my life. Maybe you need to rededicate. Maybe that means come to this altar. Maybe that means right where you are. Maybe you need me to pray for you. I'm here to do whatever I can to help. But more than anything, if God's dealing with you, do not put it off. Do not delay it. Do not postpone it. Do not wait till next time. Do something about it right now. If you need to join, join. If you need to rededicate, rededicate. If you need to come and pray, come and pray. Whatever the decision is. If you need to follow in baptism. If you need to join the choir. If God's given you a gift to sing and you're not. Man, come forward. Serve in a ministry. Help with children. Today is the day. Today is the moment. Today is the hour. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. I believe in you. And I believe you won't. I believe you'll make it right today. Father, draw people. Draw your people. Draw those who may have prayed a few moments ago and given their life to Jesus. I pray you would draw them forward those who need to come and just pray or maybe they're doing business there in the altar or there in their pew whatever whatever the whatever the issue is today business with God letting go and letting God have his way Holy Spirit move in this place we pray in Jesus name if you would stand to your feet if you need to come this morning don't hesitate you step out you come don't wait don't look to someone else you come this morning. You step out. Let God chisel in your life. Just as I am without one plea. Let God draw you this morning. Make a difference in your life. opportunity to come. If God's leading you, you come.
should be able to come to God just as you are. Changing nothing but allowing Him to change our lives. Don't see through one more verse. This is your opportunity. You come.